0: Was recorded at River City Church. Grace be to you, and peace from God our Father and from the Lord Jesus Christ. Last week we did the first part of this message, you could say, which was. Um, spirit of my Spirit, that the Lord bears witness, His Holy Spirit bears witness with our spirits. And so we're learning, as it were, uh, to hear what the Spirit is saying to our spirits. And, uh, and that's a process. That's something we're growing in. Um, this message this morning, really, is speaking about uh, what's happening in our lives. Because last week, when we spoke about this uh, key scripture concerning how the Spirit works in our lives, we, we looked at two things. We looked at who we are in God's eyes and how the Holy Spirit gives us God's eyes. God will have all men to see what he sees. you know, when Jesus looked at Jerusalem, he wept over Jerusalem because they remained blind because of pride. They wouldn't see what God sees, you know. When I mention that phrase all men this morning, I'm speaking about men and women. So I want today to continue to uh, emphasize this theme of seeing with God's eyes. Because I believe it's, it's absolutely critical that we, the church, begin to see ourselves by the Spirit. That is, to see ourselves how God sees us. Because if the eyes of the church do not open to see as God sees, the church's ability to prophesy, to speak as God speaks, is actually shut up. And that's the first thing I want to say this morning, if I can get this thing to work. Oh, just press uh, play. Ah, there we go. This is a statement. As long as the eyes of the church are shut to the supernatural, then the mouth of the church is shut to the supernatural. Do you know that every person here who's come alive to the Spirit of God was spoken over? Somebody spoke over each of us the very words of God. And in that moment, the Holy Spirit spoke through that person. Because it's by the Spirit, the Spirit comes alive. The Spirit, only the Spirit, gives birth to Spirit. The flesh only gives birth to flesh. So, if you will only see people in situations according to your natural senses, then you will really struggle to allow the Holy Spirit to speak over people through you. Because what the Holy Spirit has to say over people will appear to your natural thinking as too foolish to ever say and too dangerous to ever say. Did you get that? So the constant accusation of the religious towards Jesus uh, can be summed up in this, how can you say such things as this about such people as that? That was the accusation. Whenever he went and the people he fraternized with and the people he ate with, you remember in that day if you ate with somebody in their house, I was tantamount to saying me and him, we're, we're like brothers, you know, how can you say such things as you say over such people as that? Praise God when we, the church, are accused of that. Praise God for the day when people will say to you and I, how can you say such things as this over such people as that? That's who God wants us to be. People who speak extraordinary things. Things that could only come from heaven because no man has ever thought of such things, you know? When I have come in the past, forward in a meeting, and and prophecy has operated through somebody over my life. The things that God has said over my life have seemed impossible to me. And I would say that's a good indicator that you're having a prophetic word, you know. God will not ask you or say something of you that's simply very obvious in the natural. He will say what you cannot see yet, perhaps of yourself. But he says it in order that your eyes will be opened, that you would begin this journey of having your eyes open to see yourself as God sees you. Prophecy is very important in that sense. Remember Pastor Ruby said a couple of weeks ago he was standing here because of the prophecies that were spoken over his life. And I could say the corollary to that would be that because of the way that he has responded to the prophecies that have been spoken over his life. But God gets all the glory because when you speak of the Spirit of God, something happens. Can you say amen to that? And God is saying that each of us, Paul said, I desire that all of you should prophesy. Every believer has the ability to speak of the Spirit. Very often you're doing it, you don't even realize you're doing it. Praise God. But the effects are quite extraordinary. And even as I'm saying that, what I'm doing is I'm stirring up that gift within each of us, really. you know, Because as we say these things, as Thomas shared, as Robert shared, as we share these things that are, seem good to us in the Holy Spirit, and our spirits, we're all being awakened. We're all coming alive to who we are in the Spirit. That's something that happens in communion. That's something that happens together. I need my brothers and sisters around me to speak to me as I am in the Spirit. Thank you, my family will speak to me as I am in the flesh. (laughs) People in the flesh will speak to me as I am in the flesh. Give me somebody in the Spirit who will speak to me in the Spirit of who God says I am, that I may rise to that level that God sees me at, that I may live from that level that God sees me at. Praise God. So how can you say such things as this about such people as that? Let's give an answer to that question. Let's turn to our first scripture this morning in John 13. This is a very familiar scripture that you're aware of. This is something that was said during the Last Supper when Jesus continued to do extraordinary things and say extraordinary things. And one of the last things that he taught his disciples, one of the last extraordinary things that he did was to wash their feet And that act was preceded by this beautiful verse, which I very often come back to. John 13, verse 3. Jesus, knowing that the Father had given all things into his hands, and that he had come from God and was going to God, he rose from the supper, he laid aside his garments, he took a towel, and he girded himself. Praise God. You know, the constant accusation that was laid against Jesus by those who could not see by the Spirit was that the things he said over people, indeed the way he was with people, for he was the living embodiment of grace, was absolutely outrageous. But the most outrageous thing Jesus was accused of saying, what came up time and time again, was the things he said about himself. Do you remember that? This man dares to call God Father. That was brought up at his trial, you know. This man dares to make himself equal with God. He dares to speak himself as if he's more than flesh and blood. That was the accusation. And we're talking this morning about how critical it is, how imperative it is that the church begins to see and speak by the Spirit of God. And what we're going to see this morning is that you can't prophesy, you can't speak the extraordinary, outrageous things The testimony of Jesus Christ over people, if you have not first received his extraordinary supernatural testimony about yourself. Jesus, first of all, received the testimony about himself. What got him into trouble was the things he said about himself. And we, too, must start from that place. And so we can say this morning, it was the outrageously extraordinary things Jesus believed about himself that allowed him to treat people in an outrageously extraordinary way. For Jesus, God incarnate, to kneel down and do the dirty job, the servant's job, of washing the disciples' feet was an outrageous act. Maybe we don't get that right now, you know. They were shocked by that act. But John 13 simply declares that Jesus could do it because he believed something outrageous, something extraordinary about himself. Look at that verse 3 again. We'll see what it is. He believed that the Father had given all things into his hands and that he had come from God and he was going to God. In other words, what Jesus believed was, he believed that God the Father had shared everything he had with him and that he was called of God and for God. And what I want to say to you this morning is that uh, those extraordinary things that Jesus believed, Christ went to the cross that all men would believe such things that all men would see that God has shared everything he has with us, that we too would begin to see our source and our destiny, that we too would begin to see who we are in Christ, that we would live extraordinary lives. The cross is the revelation and the declaration to every man and woman that God the Father is, in giving us his Son, he has shared everything he has with us that we may see that we are called of God and for God. Now, we finished last week by speaking of John the Baptist's father, Zechariah. Do you remember him? Where, in fact, God, the angel Gabriel, God spoke amazing things over Zechariah. And Zechariah wasn't at the place where he could receive what was being uh, spoken over him. And so, unbelief really caused his tongue to be silenced. Unbelief shut up his mouth. Do you know unbelief has shut my mouth so many times? and shut your mouth so many times. To dare to say the outrageous things over people that people, other people see as simply a waste of space, a waste of time, unforgivable, unlovable, past redemption. Praise God. And we are the people who are to say, no, that's not who you are. That's not who God sees you. He sees you as worth his very life, and yet unbelief so much has shut my mouth Because I have first not received the name that God sees me as. If I can't receive the fact that I'm worth Christ in God's eyes, then I can't tell you the same. So the church must first, judgment starts at the house of God. The church must first receive and accept the glory of God that is given to the church. The glory of God, the doxa of God is God's view and opinion. Do you know God's view and opinion of you? Look to the cross. Look to the cross. That's God's view and opinion. An understanding of what happened at the cross and what the cross means is pivotal for every believer to walk by the Spirit, to see everything changed at the cross. Praise God. So John the Baptist, you know, you remember, of course, that uh, uh, his tongue was only loosed. When on the day that John the Baptist came to be circumcised, he dared to agree with what the Holy Spirit had said. He dared to speak and to, exp- he couldn't even speak. He had to take a pen and write it. He dared to express something very foolish for all his neighbors and all his friends said that you should name this child after the family, somebody in the family. But he wrote, no, his name is beloved of God. That's what the word John means. He dared to say that. And the moment he said that, you remember what happened? His tongue was loosed, and a river of prophecy began to flow out of his life. So what happened there was Zechariah give his own flesh and blood the name, the identity that God was speaking over him. He did this, in fact. He named his own flesh and blood by the Spirit. Now, that's what you and I are called to do. Praise the Lord to name yourself by the Spirit. By the Spirit. Don't say, oh, well, you know, Lord, I'm not worthy. No, he paid a high price that you and I would rise up. The world doesn't need people who are so self-conscious that they're not God-conscious. They need us to be so God-conscious that we're unashamed, unabashed. The first thing that happened to Adam when he fell into sin, as it were, was he became aware that he was naked. Self-consciousness. Self-consciousness is what shuts up the mouth of the church. You know, We want to be so God-conscious of what God is saying that we just can't shut our mouths. We just pour out a river of extraordinary things over people's lives. you know. So he allowed the Spirit to speak through him, and suddenly out of his mouth came a river of prophecy. And this morning we're going to see that uh, God would have his people, his church by his Spirit, to speak by his Spirit in order that a river of life would flow, a river of life. You know, God regards his people as the temple of the Holy Spirit. And he said, and there's pictures right through the Scripture, that a river will flow from the temple. We have it up here on the church. Where is it? Living waters will flow. It's something we've always known is true. This is the day. River, living waters will flow. Flow from where? This flows from the temple. Who is the temple? Know you not? You are the temple of the Holy Spirit. And you are filled by the Holy Spirit that you would have a different confession to everybody who walks in the natural. You would be people who speak from heaven. And that's Jesus' plan to bring heaven to earth. When he prayed this that my kingdom come on earth as it is in heaven. You know how that's happening? Through believers, through a river of life flowing all the way from heaven, words from heaven flowing through you and I to people on the earth. Words they've never heard before. Words that are absolutely extraordinary. Words that are so amazing, they bring people from death to life. Praise God. And so we can say this morning, it was always God's intention that living waters will flow and that they will flow from his temple, his church, into the earth. And everywhere that river of life flows, it brings life. The testimony of Jesus Christ about man and women, who he sees them to be, has always been life-giving. Jesus, the last Adam, is a life-giving spirit. Jesus himself said, the words that I speak, they are spirit and they are life. Wow! I want to speak words of life, do you? Wow! I want to speak words of life. You know, I reckon that the greatest opportunities we have to speak words of life are actually to speak in the worst situations. Okay, I'll say that again. The greatest opportunities we have to speak words of life are in the worst situations. You see, in the worst situations, everybody in a panic can only speak of the flesh. I mean, we've all done it, haven't we? You get a bad report or something, you go, oh my God, what's going to happen? You start to list out, you start to speculate, oh my God, this has probably happened, that's probably happened, and then that's probably happened. They say about 80% of the things you worry about never actually happen, you know. But we, we recite them all out, we, you know. In those moments, if somebody in that moment will stand up and speak by the Spirit, it's amazing how an atmosphere will change. Isn't that wonderful? It's like when you go into a jeweler's shop, or think thinking about this during the week, and he wants to show you how a gem sparkles. What will he do? He'll take a black background. He won't place the gem on a piece of white paper, he'll place it on a piece of black paper. It's those times in your life when everything is dark, when everything is black. It's for days like that you must prophesy. You must speak by the Spirit. Praise God. It's like when David got back to his camp and discovered that his wives and children had all been stolen. Remember that? Amalek, uh, Amalek? and uh, his men were thinking of stoning him. It must have been the darkest day in his life. It says he went off and encouraged himself in the Lord. He had to give himself a talking to, you know. When your spirit comes alive, you can give your soul a talking to. Anybody say amen to that? Anybody had to give their soul to talking to? Anybody ever felt like having a pity party? <laughs> Anybody here having a pity party? <laughs> Praise the Lord. The testimony of Jesus, what Jesus has to say to this city, this nation, this generation, is so amazing that it makes people who are dead to God become alive to God. I'm getting so excited about I, I just get so excited about what Jesus is saying, you know. What we, the church, have to say to people is so amazing because the things we have to say over people, they have never, ever thought of or spoken of over themselves, nor has any members of their family. Paul was speaking this to the Corinthians. He wrote this, 1 Corinthians 2, 9 and 10. What no eye has seen, what no ear has heard, and what no human mind has conceived... The things that God has prepared for those who love him. These are the things God has revealed to us by his Spirit. The Spirit searches all things, even the deep things of God. I believe you and I as believers have been given the Holy Spirit the capacity to see deeper. To see deeper than the appearance of flesh and blood. To see past people's past. I'll say it again. If you have a Holy Spirit in you today, you have the capacity to see past people's past. But the first person's past you're going to have to see past is your past. That's what it is to see by the Spirit. It's to see deeper, to see the deep things of God. We can look at people and we can see the deep things of God, the eternal purpose of God for a person, the eternal name that God has for that person that he wants them to bear for him. I love John 7. That's a story about how the Pharisees sent the temple police, this is the equivalent of the PSNI in those days, you know, to arrest Jesus. And uh, they made the mistake of listening to what he was saying before they went to arrest him. (laughs) And uh, they all stood there with their mouths open, you know. Oh, my goodness. I remember, let me tell you a funny story. I remember there was two girls in my year in veterinary college. And um, they, we were seeing practice, and one of the things about seeing practice is you go along and you just work with the vets, but he does all the hard work. You don't have to do anything. You just watch, you know. Well, these two girls went to see practice with the vets somewhere in, in, in England, and it was a large show that he was going to that day, and there was horse jumping happening at the show. And um, nothing e- extraordinary was happening. There was no call for the vets, to be honest. He was spending most of his time in the beer tent. But then a call came in. He had to rush off to do an urgent call. And uh, he said to the girls, listen, don't worry. Nothing ever happens at these shows. (laughs) Famous last words, isn't it? Nothing ever happens. Um, Go to the back of my car. Take out whatever you think you need. And uh, just wait for me in the tent. I'll be back in about an hour's time, you know. So they went to the back of his car. And they took out a nice little bit of bandage. And a little bit of sticky tape, you know. And a little bit of puffer powder, antibiotic powder. And they put it in a plastic bag. And they went to the tent. Five minutes after he left, announcement over the tannoy could the veterinary surgeon please go immediately to fence number seven, you know? And all this crowd were rushing to this fence where a horse had fallen and looked like the poor thing had broken his leg, you know? And as the two girls made their way to this fence, they had to push through the crowd. And as they pushed through the crowd, they finally broke front and saw this horse lying there writhing in agony, you know? And they looked at the horse and they looked at their little bag of Sticky tape them. And they both looked at each other and they took a step back and disappeared and went back to the tent. I always remember them telling the story. They were absolutely flummoxed. They were absolute. their mouths were shut up in fear. They couldn't speak. They couldn't stand up, you know. When these temple police went to arrest Jesus, they could not arrest him. And they came back and they said this to the Pharisees. No man, no man has ever spoken the words that that man is speaking And the whole of heaven is waiting for the church to speak like that. Not simply to copy what we hear in the news. Not simply to reflect and repeat what every other Christian is saying. But to speak by the Spirit. To speak over your family and your friends and your street words that no man has ever spoken over them. And that can only be done by the Spirit. And it can only be done by people who have learned to receive for themselves the very words that God is speaking over them. You could say this, in fact, they went to Jesus with the intention of arresting him, but his words arrested them. If we are preaching the gospel of Jesus Christ, the testimony of Jesus about men and women, if we claim to be speaking the words of God, speaking by his Spirit, then the things we should be saying over people should be so extraordinary that they are arrested in their tracks, stopped in their tracks, and completely turned around by the words that we are saying. God's testimony about men, the revelation that comes through the gospel of his generosity towards them, is so extraordinary. It's so beyond their wildest dreams that it causes men and women to stop in their tracks and to completely turn around. And the Bible calls that a metanoia. Church calls that repentance. And that is caused by the words that are coming from the very Spirit of God. No man, no man comes to God unless he is drawn by the Spirit of God. We cannot expect people to repent and to come to Christ if we will not speak over them the extraordinary things that God says about them because of the cross, because of what the cross represents. It is the gospel of God's extraordinary vision of man, how precious he is to God, what heights God always intended him to live at that causes men to see themselves as God sees them, of infinite worth, worth sharing all he has with And only when men start to believe that God has shared all he has with them can they start to live as if God-likeness is not something to be grasped, as religion has told them all their lives, but something to be received by faith. Praise God. When people hear Jesus' words over them, they'll not be hearing what flesh and blood has to say, what mere religion has been saying to them for years. All flesh and blood can see is who they are in the natural, but children of the Spirit's Christians, we are to regard no man, no woman after the flesh. That's our gifting, whether we're operating it or not, whether we believe it or not. That's the gifting of the believer, that we can see people after the Spirit. We can see people in light of what God has done for them and speak by that light. Paul told the Corinthians that in light of what God had done for all men through the cross, which has reconciled them to Himself, now no longer counting their sins against them. In light of that, we should now regard all men in that light, in the light of the Spirit, in the light of the cross. In light of what has been done for all men, we should declare to all men what Paul described the gospel as declaring to all men in Second Corinthians 5 and 20. Now then, we are ambassadors for Christ. As though God was pleading through us, We implore you, Derry, Londonderry, Ireland, on Christ's behalf, be reconciled to God. You see, we're asking them to be? We're asking them to be who God now sees them to be. Be now who God sees you to be. God sees you to be reconciled to himself, so be reconciled to God. And notice the gospel there. It says, to men be. It does not say to them do. Religion says to men do by the strength of your flesh. The gospel says to men be by the grace of God. Religion says do and keep doing what is right and you'll become right with God. The gospel says believe who God declares you to be and so be today who he sees you to be today by his grace. Now, not all men will believe such an extraordinary gospel. Not all men will believe a gospel that leaves no room for man's pride because it leaves no room for the flesh. But many, by God's grace, will find the childlikeness, the humility in them, the desire to believe the extraordinary things that God declares about them. Do Do you know that children, little children, believe extraordinary things? They believe extraordinary things. I spoke about this, I think it was last Christmas. How we, at Christmas, you know, we put up all these decorations, we put up lights. Why do we do all that? Because we love to see the wonder in children's faces. Wonder that many of us have lost. You know? I think that word, uh, we, we spoke about that word, uh, nostalgia. It actually means an ache for home. An ache for wonder. God says, I want you to be as little children. I want you to have your mouth open. When you see who I am, when you see what I've done for people, I want you to walk around with your mouth open. Be as little children, praise God. They will believe words that have never been uttered about them before, words that religion has never spoken over them, extraordinary words, and by believing such extraordinary words, they will live extraordinary lives. Because people who believe extraordinary things live extraordinary lives. You know, parents who say extraordinary things over their children raise extraordinary children. We saw that story recently about Thomas Edison, didn't we? About his mother said over that man. The gospel is not an ordinary message. Can you say amen to that? How extraordinary is the gospel? The testimony of Jesus Christ over you and I. How can Jesus still today say such things as this over such people as this? But he does. If the gospel you are hearing does not sound so extraordinary as to be utter foolishness, to your natural senses, then you're not hearing the gospel of God's grace, but merely another religious message appealing to your flesh to do the impossible, to bear the fruit of the spirits. <laughs> flesh cannot give birth to spirits. Flesh can only give birth to flesh. We're speaking this morning about God's desire that his body would speak his very words. And we have seen before that before we can prophesy over this generation and let a river of life flow out of this river city church, as it were, out of our lives, we have to receive for ourselves God's extraordinary words over us. If living water is to flow out, then living water has to flow in. And I say that again this morning in order to say this, let's not just do church, let us be church. Let us be the temple of God, the living God, which flows in the extraordinary testimony of the living God, a river of prophecy, things that have never been said over this generation. Let us preach the extraordinary, outrageous, generous grace of God that people would say of us what they said of him. How can you say such things over such people? Only by the Spirit of God. Only by the Spirit of God. Okay, let me give you an example of this as we finish this morning. Acts 9. Last week we looked at Zechariah, a man who had his mouth shut up. Today we're going to look at a man who had his eyes shut, okay? Turn to Acts 9 and we'll read this together. This is actually, if you look at it, the first nine verses are a description of Saul on the road to Damascus. How familiar is everybody with that story? But this morning we're interested in another man in that story, a man who's beginning to wake up to the voice of the spirits, and beginning to see how God sees. Now, in that first nine verses of uh, Acts 9, you'll see, in fact, that Saul has an amazing revelation. Uh, Jesus speaks to him, and what Jesus says to him is, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? And in that revelation, the Lord is saying to Saul, I married these people. I am one with these people. What you do to them, you do to me. <laughs> that's a revelation that the church needs to grasp hold of. And that's what the Holy Spirit is meaning Now, that was such an extraordinary, outrageous thing to Saul that he could not take in that light. That light blinded him. In light of that, Saul, the man who claimed to be serving God, had actually been shown to be totally blind to who God is. So just as Zechariah's mouth was shut, so Saul's eyes are shut. And now we get to verse 10. And uh, I love this verse. It says, Now there was a disciple at Damascus named Ananias, and the Lord said to him in a vision, Ananias, and he said, Here I am, Lord. Wow. Remember last week we said that uh, the Holy Spirit bears witness with our spirits that we are the children of God. And we said that a Christian convert is somebody who's received that revelation, but a Christian disciple Is somebody who's living from that revelation. Somebody who's got used to the voice of God. Somebody who knows the voice of God. Ananias was a disciple who knew the voice of God. When God said his name, he said, yes, Lord, I know that's you. What do you want? God opens our eyes, enables us to speak by the Spirit, by speaking to us in the Spirit, by his Holy Spirit. And you know the first thing that God says to you? Your name. If you will not even receive your name in the Spirit, you will not learn to hear the Spirit. you know why? If you will not receive, believer, that you are, are today a child of God, then you cannot hear today the voice of your father. You will say it's another voice. How do you know it's the voice of your father? Because you know by the Spirit that you are a child of God. The first thing that Ananias receives from God is his name. And that's why we can say that hearing from God starts with receiving your name from God. If you won't receive the name God gives you, my child, you can't learn to hear the voice of your father. And what we're about to see with Ananias, and this is so encouraging, that each of us grow in the ability, the capacity to receive. That's happening right now. We are growing as people in the capacity to hear the voice of the Spirit. I say in my life, I'm hearing more now by the Spirit than I've ever heard before. And all because of the gospel, all because of getting the foundation straight, all because of the basics of righteousness, knowing that in Christ Jesus, I am righteous. I am able to hear the voice of God. He is speaking to me. I am worthy to be spoken to. Most people, they think about hearing from God, oh, he wouldn't talk to me. He wouldn't talk to me. You know what? We need a revelation. He talks to you. He died for you. Why on earth would he die for you and not talk for you? My goodness. We're about to see that with Ananias that we grow in the capacity to receive what God is saying. And what actually grows us is the amazing things that God keeps saying to us. As he keeps saying these things to us, our ability to receive continues to grow. That's why there could be a thousand and one things I could be teaching you from the Word of God every Sunday. But I am compelled by the Spirit of God to preach to you and to me the most foolish message in the world. The most extraordinary, outrageous message in the world. The message of the Spirit. The message that sounds nothing like you've ever heard before. In the flesh. That's the gospel. The message. That opens people's eyes to how God now sees them in Christ. No matter what laws, what principles, what truths we learn from God's word, if we never start to see as God sees, we cannot speak as God speaks. And what this generation need, this iPhone generation, this information-saturated generation, is not more information, even biblical information about God. They need revelation of God. They need to see God. They need to hear God. And that's why you and I are in this generation. And that's why you're in your family. And that's why maybe you don't even save a person in your family. That's enough. It's enough salt. You don't take much salt to change the whole flavor of a meal. It doesn't take much light. Light a candle and you can see the whole room. One person. If one person will speak by the Spirit of God. One person. How often in the Bible do we see tremendously dark situations, but one person stands up and sings, Thus speaks the Lord. Think of Zerubbabel. In 2 uh, Chronicles, you know, where he prophesied, go out, start to sing, just walk straight towards the enemy and they'll disappear. Praise God for somebody who spoke from the Spirit. Praise God for somebody who had the wisdom to know when the Spirit was speaking. And that's what we need to know as disciples, praise God. When the Spirit is speaking and when he's not speaking. So Acts 9, 11, and 12, what happens next? Well, here's an extraordinary thing. Look at 9 and 12, uh, 11 and 12, sorry, from, from chapter 9. The Lord replied and said to Ananias, get up, go to the street called Straight, inquire at the house of Judas for a man from Tarsus named Saul, for he is praying. And he has seen in a, in a vision a man named Ananias come in and lay his hands on him so that he might regain his sight. You know, as I'm, as I'm reading it, I'm thinking, I wonder the God of two or three people called Ananias in uh, Damascus that day, just in case this Ananias didn't go. Because God has just spoken, this is what this man is seeing, you know. It's an amazing thing. When I read that, I thought, wow, this is incredible. God tells Ananias that Saul is beginning to see in the Spirit, and he tells him what he's seeing. Paul is seeing the eternal purpose of God for Ananias. Isn't that amazing? Paul is seeing Ananias as Ananias has never seen Ananias. Come on, church, I want you to speak to me as I have never seen myself, and I'll make you a deal. I'll speak to you by the Spirit as you've never seen yourself. Isn't this amazing what the Spirit is doing? Paul is seeing Ananias as the man who's brave enough to walk up to the biggest enemy of Christians in that day and pray for him. Wow. Well, Ananias can't take that in, can he? What does he do? Verse 13, he starts to do a Zechariah, doesn't he? Uh, he begins to hesitate a little bit, and uh, he says, but, uh, there's a lot of buts in the Bible, isn't there? Uh, uh, Lord, <laughs> hang on a minute, Lord, hang on a minute. I have heard from many about this man. Stop right there. Are you living your life? By what people have said about you. What many people have said about you. Is that how we're going to now deal with this generation? By what many people have said. Are we people to live by what the news says? By what people have said? By what people, ungodly people, who has believed my report? The Lord says. Ananias speaks in the flesh. And this is what it says when you speak in the flesh. I have heard from many people about this man. Remember when Jesus asked the disciples, yes, but who do you say that I am? And they, oh, well, some people say this, some people say that. Yes, but I'm asking you. I want to hear about the Spirit. Come on, who's got the Spirit? Who does the Spirit say that I am? And good old Peter spoke up, praise God. Well, for a few seconds he spoke up. (laughs) Praise God. A few seconds are enough. Wow. Speak for a few seconds in the Spirit this week, and you'll accomplish more than you'll ever accomplish by months of talking to your family in the flesh. Anybody say amen to that? So what does Ananias say? Well, he says, but, 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 Ananias' first response represents the state that God finds his church in today. Right now, there are men and women walking around this city who are as far from Christian as is possible to get. In the flesh, they have lived and still appear to themselves and to others as enemies of God and his people. And I want to say something extraordinary and then something sad. The extraordinary thing is that God sees those people as chosen vessels of his to bear his name, Christ, to this generation. Don't you believe that Jesus is the same yesterday, today, and forever? Don't you believe that Jesus is still able to turn Saul's into Paul's? We do. But here's the sad thing. They're still walking and living as souls, living in their own eyes and in the eyes of people who know them as enemies of God because they're still waiting for the Ananias of this generation to awake to the voice of God and start to see them as God sees them and start to speak over them as God speaks over them. They're still waiting for the church to awake and start to see to say such things as this over such people as that. So let's end with some good news. Ananias is Canada first see what God sees. And maybe you're sitting here this morning and you're saying, well, that's all very well and good, but I still can't see what God sees. Well, here's the good news. He first can't see what God sees and refuses to say and to do what God asks him to do. These words, but then he does, you see, then if you look at it, he then, after God speaks a second time, he goes and he speaks something outrageous as that over Saul. And when he spoke those words over Saul, it was like a river of life, like the very spittle of God, which Jesus placed on the blind man's eyes. So as Saul hears the extraordinary testimony of Jesus about him, something like scales fell from his eyes. And he began to see the world from God's eyes, and the world was never the same again. What happened to change Ananias' mind? Verse 15 happened. God simply spoke again and said, go, go. For he is the chosen instrument of mine to hear my name before the Gentiles and the kings and the sons of Israel. He, God, simply kept speaking. That's all he had to do. And all God has to do to open your ears and your eyes and my ears and my eyes is to continue to speak what he has been speaking to us for quite some time. As he has confidence in his word, that river of life keeps flowing. Something like scales will fall from his eyes. Just as Jesus laid hands on that blind man on whose eyes he had spat a second time before he saw it clearly, so the Lord here speaks to Ananias a second time and he starts to see as God sees him. He starts to see Saul as God sees him. And of course, he couldn't have gone there unless he had begun to see himself as the man who went and prayed for the biggest enemy of Christians in that generation. What we see with Ananias is that each of us grow as disciples in the capacity to receive what God is saying. And it is actually the amazingly outrageous, extraordinary things that the Spirit says to us that enables us to grow in the capacity to receive what God is saying. How do we grow to be able to see what God sees? Keep sitting under the river of life. The testimony of Jesus, the Spirit of prophecy, the outrageous, extraordinary gospel that still causes something like scales, the scales of religion, to fall from the eyes of people today as it did in those days. So let's keep speaking outrageously gracious and generous things over each other that they may say of the body of Christ today, how can you say such things as this over such people as that? Let that be the accusation against us in this generation too. And we can reply, I can say, I can say the extraordinary things God is saying over them because I myself have at last began to receive the extraordinary things God keeps saying over me through the testimony of Jesus, the gospel of God's extraordinary, outrageous grace. Praise God. Now, I want to finish this morning by doing something a little bit different. Um, All the messages this morning has been something very simple, that if we're speaking by the Spirit, something happens. If we're speaking by the Spirit, something happens. So if we're going to speak by the Spirit into that community, and I don't believe that prophecy is supposed to be simply for the church. It's for the world. And if we're to do that, we need to start to prophesy over each other. We need to start to prophesy over ourselves, you know. Now you may notice this morning that I am speaking a lot about prophecy in terms of the gospel and that, but I haven't mentioned the gift of tongues. But I feel something this morning because something happened on Friday night. We heard a testimony, uh, which was quite strange really. It was a testimony of the Tharps who were here a year ago, and at the end of the meeting a year ago, Marty Tharp, who's had about, I don't know how many coronaries, I know he's had eight strokes, he began to lose consciousness, began to fall over, and somebody grabbed him and they brought him to the the bus, and they laid him down, and they prayed with him, but he seemed to be getting worse, and um, they came and got me as I was leaving the car park, and I went into the little room, little bedroom that he was in, and uh, he, he didn't look very well at all. And uh, in those situations, I, you know, when you don't know what to pray, thank God for the gift of tongues. So, I, you know, I, I just closed my eyes, and I just began to, to speak in tongues over him. And, uh, and I didn't know what happened, really, until Friday night. Because um, what happened that night, they said, was that the color immediately began to come back into him, and he felt his, his health just come right back. And, and he was strong. He was able to drive the bus the next day. But also there was a girl called Melissa there, Who was standing behind me, and she had her hand on my back, and she said that as I prayed in tongues, she felt like a heat come down her hand, and she was healed of a sickness that she had for a month, instantaneously healed, you know? Now, that was simply, whatever was said in the Spirit, what's said in the Spirit accomplishes things in the Spirit, you know? And so what I want to do this morning is, I want to speak in tongues over you as a congregation, okay? I want to just speak the Word of God over you. So, Father... I just declare right now in the name of Jesus, uh, for this river is flowing. Not will be, not may be, is flowing. This river is flowing right now in your people. And I thank you. This river is bringing life. It first brings life to the banks of the river where it flows. And so, Lord, for these dear people and for myself as well, we're finding uh, an an enlightening, an enlivening in our lives. We are thinking thoughts that we've never thought before. We're saying things that we've never said before. We are imagining things, good things, that we've never thought before. We're beginning to see what no eye has ever seen, what no ear has ever heard. We're beginning to imagine ourselves as God has seized us, and it's a beautiful thing. And so I just call that forth in the name of Jesus. I just call it forth. Let that river come forth. Let the spirit give birth to spirits. As these people continue to sit under this glorious, outrageously extravagant gospel, that the spirits would begin to flow through their very mouths. Lord, let your people speak by the spurs. Bless you, Father. Let the people speak by the Spirit, Lord. Let this generation hear the voice of the spurs. Let this generation hear things. Let this generation say, no man has ever spoken such words. Let those words, the words that no man has ever spoken, let they be spoken in lives this week, Father. Wherever we go, let us in the moment, Lord, feel that river of life flowing from us. Let us feel your love for the unlovable. Let us speak from that place, Lord, and say extraordinary things over people that they may believe. That they may believe, Lord. That they may believe, and in believing, receive that same spirit themselves. And be The people you see them to be, reconciled to you. Bless you, Father. Thank you, Lord. Lord, we say amen to the great work you're doing in our lives. Bless you, Father. Lord, I thank you for every person here. I thank you that nobody was here by accident this morning. I thank you that you're building us into an us, Father. And I thank you that every word spoken in this place will be edification, exhortation, and encouragement. We declare it because these are the very words of heaven. And as the words of heaven are spoken on the earth, then his kingdom comes on earth as it is in heaven. We declare this in Jesus' name.